0: If you have your Bible, I hope that you do, you'll turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be continuing in our study today. And, and as we do, uh, one of the things that I wanted just to kind of remind you of, give you a little bit of context of if you haven't been with us or haven't been with us in a while, is just an opportunity to kind of let you know where we've been and, and, and where we're going. We're, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and over the course of the last couple of weeks, as we've come to the end of the introduction of Jesus' sermon here on the mountainside, we saw last week specifically him share kind of that thesis statement, his main idea that he's about to launch into for his sermon. And what it kind of reminded me of was uh, something that me and my brother would do when we were little. Uh, This is a bungee cord. Uh, as you can obviously see. And back in the 80s, they made these a little bit differently to where uh, this is firm and this has kind of got that plastic cover on it, but it was just pure, pure metal, exposed metal. Lots of things were made with metal in the 80s. Those, those toys last week I mentioned, all made with metal. And my brother and I, we shared a room. And uh, my oldest brother, he got his own room. I don't know how that happened, but me and my middle brother, we got to share a room together. And one of the things that we loved to do was compete with one another. And what we had was, again, back in the 80s, we had bunk beds, but not one of those bunk beds today where, like, you push a button and all of a sudden it's safe and it's got rails and everything. Our bunk beds were two twin beds with these wooden frames uh, for the head, for the header, and for the footboard. But then our rails were, again, made out of pure metal. And I remember my brother Jeff jumping up and down on the bed, falling, uh, scraping his leg, not on a wooden sideboard, but one of those metal ones got stitches. And and, uh, yeah, he, he got lots of stitches. And so what we decided was, we want to turn our room into a track and field competition. And on the in post of like here's the headboard, here's the footboard, not bunk bed situation, just a twin bed. We would take this bungee cord with, with another and we would strap it on the edge of this little knob of the, the like the little wooden top so it's just like maybe 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 a half an inch of, of, a, of a piece of wood there, and you'd strap it there, and you'd connect it, and you strap it over here, and you would connect it. And then what we would do is we would run, and we would perform the high jump, and we would try to arch our back and be able to see if we could clear the, the bar and be able to, to not hit the bungee cord. And if you did, uh, very often the bungee cord would release. It would snap, smack you, and you realize, I didn't make it. And we did this over and over and over again. Um, and we absolutely <laughs> loved it, but every time we knew... we we didn't hit our goal. The goal was to go over the bar, to clear the bar, and every time that we would knock it down, we had to set that bar back into place where it properly needed to be, where that standard was to try to clear. What Jesus has been doing, and what Jesus shared with those on the mountainside, and what he shares with us today, is that for centuries, those within Uh, The the Jewish faith, those within, um, following the the teachings uh, of of Old Testament scripture, they had been taking the standard of God and they had been lowering it. They said this average or this standard that God has, it's just too high and too lofty for us to be able to reach. So we're actually going to bring it down a notch so that you can feel better about yourself and we can feel better about ourselves because we, we lowered the average. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. I'm setting the bar back where it is intended to be, God's standard. And it's designed in such a way to be able to reveal to you that you're not clearing the bar. And, and it's not to make you hopeless. It's to make you cry out to the one who can provide you hope, who can clear that bar, and who can reach that standard. And so even a few weeks ago, we, I shared with you that throughout the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is going to be doing is letting us know that, that Christianity, our faith in Christ... Is to be above the average, and because our faith is above that average in Christ, then as Christians, our faith should also be authentic. It should be below the surface. And what Jesus has done is last week in chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, as he, as he shares what it is to get that bar set back into place of what the standard of God is, he uses the remainder of chapter 5 to say, and here's some examples. This is what I'm talking about. This is us getting to the heart of the matter and to the heart of the law. And so beginning today, what he's going to do is he's going to give six different examples. Two are going to come from the Old Testament, specifically the Ten Commandments. We're going to see one of those today. The other two are going to come from other Mosaic writings, uh, stuff that Moses wrote in the first five books of the Old Testament. And then two more examples of Jesus wanting to teach them what love really is. That this is the standard of what God thinks of when he thinks of love. And that's what we're trying to, to obtain to. And So, so we are going to be looking at, uh, next week, we're going to be looking at lust. We're going to be looking at integrity, retaliation, revenge. We're going to be looking at um, wanting to, to keep, keep our word. And today, we're, we're getting to talk about murder. Uh, and so today, we're going to see that though he brings up, thou shalt not commit murder... He's saying it's really not about murder. It's about anger. He wants to get to the heart of the matter. It's not about murder. It's about anger. And so follow along with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Look at what it says. Jesus says, "'You have heard that the ancients were told, "'You shall not commit murder, "'and whoever commits murder "'shall be liable or guilty to the court. "'But I say to you that everyone "'who is angry with his brother "'shall be guilty before the court, "'and whoever says to his brother, "'You good for nothing,' You shall be guilty before the Supreme Court or the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Friends, if, if, if you do not deal with the heart, you will deal with the consequences. If you do not deal with the heart of the issue, then you will deal with the consequences. Pray with me. Father, as we come this morning, I, I do ask that you would give us attention. I know that the last few days have been rainy and dreary, Lord, and we thank you for the rain. But Father, I pray that we could just have a sweet time of hearing your truth, that it would be a, a truth that we would receive and apply in our lives. That we would have an open mind and an open heart to hear what you have to say today. And so if you would, where you're sitting, sitting or if you're watching online, would you just ask the Lord, just it's very beautifully. God, give me an open heart and an open mind that I'd hear what you'd have to say. And would you pray for me that I would share with you simply the truth of what God has for us today? Well, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Monty had been uh, performing on the stage since he was six months old. Yeah, real, real, real go-getter. But then at the age of seven, something happened uh, to Monty while he was on stage. In fact, he had gotten so prominent uh, with his abilities that he was uh, actually performing in Las Vegas at the Mirage on a Friday night in the early 2000s. And it was in this performance that something quite unexpected happened with, with Monty and with those that he was performing with. What you need to know about Monty is that Monty is actually a 400-pound white tiger. Some of you may remember this story of in this performance and in this uh, moment in Las Vegas, Monty turned on Siegfried, of Siegfried and Roy, and mauled him at his neck and at his arms, and Roy, uh, I guess it was Roy, not Siegfried, no, Siegfried and Roy, Roy, Roy had uh, even a significant stroke as, as a result of all of this, and as tame as that animal had been for that many years and performing that many times, genetically wild animal at heart. Dangerous at heart. For, for us today, we might look at this passage and go, I'm good with this one. I haven't killed anybody. Not even this week. I'm doing great. Batting a batting hundred right here. No, no, no issues. So what's next? And I would imagine that even as Jesus is there teaching on the mountainside, and he says, You have heard that it was said, and you'll notice over the next few weeks that this is Jesus' kind of model and rhythm is he goes, You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And this is the first example of this. You have heard that it was said that you shall not commit murder. One of the big ten, one of the ten commandments. And they're like, Yeah, I have heard that. what about it, Jesus? I want to say something else to you. They would even probably be listening to him, saying, "Yeah, this is this is actually a really good statement. This is a really good idea." But but what what I realize is that I'm I'm obeying this one. What what's your point, Jesus? I I, I haven't committed homicide. I'm crushing this religion thing. What's next? And Jesus is simply saying, "No, no, 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 no. Well, well, yes. I'm glad that you're not committing homicide and that you're murdering anyone. But but I'm wanting to to go below the surface and and and, and take a look at." why would murder even take place? Because what I'm looking for, Jesus would say, within my community of faith, is not that we're looking to to reach at the base level. I believe that Jesus is saying at the base level, at least we're not murdering one another. That's that's at the minimum. But we can be guilty, as these would have been guilty, of we are okay with the minimum. I shared with you a few weeks ago the idea of uh, C's get degrees, and sometimes we're okay with how little do I have to do? How little do I have to study in order to pass this test because I just want to do the minimum? Or how many days do I have to work out if I want to get back into shape? Like could it just be a handful of days throughout the month, or you're on a diet and you're like, I'm, I'm wanting to lose weight and I'm wanting to see some results, and how long must I be on this diet? And you know what? I should reward myself and give myself four cheat days out of seven cheat day, out of seven days, so that way you know I'm, I'm not pushing myself too hard, too extreme, and we kind of reach that minimum level. And Jesus is talking when he's talking about this idea of the of, of the minimum, he's saying, one, we're not doing that with the Word of God and the standard of God. We're not looking at how can we just get by and go, I cleared that one, technically. I, I cleared the bar, even though I lowered the bar down to here, and there was no real standard to, to, to see. We can be guilty of just saying, well, how much do I have to do to really be holy? What, what, is, what does that look like? Can you, can you give me a, a, a list, pastor or or Bible, so that way I can just do those things. How much do I have to serve to really consider to be in and to be a part of of the kingdom and to know that one day I'll have everlasting life? And again, Jesus is saying, this is not the community that I'm building. So for us as as a church family, but for us also as individuals, I want to urge us as mission point that we would choose to pursue who you, who we are meant to be in Christ that we're not just looking to get by. We're not looking to exhaust ourselves, but we're not just looking to get by. We're, we're looking to see what is God's standard, what are God's commands, and that's what we want to obey, and that's what we want to live out. And so when Jesus begins to get a little bit below the surface of what he's saying, of you've heard it said, you should not commit murder, but I say to you, and he begins to talk about anger, I begin to think, do we really need any illustrations on anger right now in 2021? In fact, right now, I believe that I, I could just simply say a few words. And as I watch you, I wonder if some of you, if your eye twitches or you have an uncontrollable, like, twitch on your face, if I just simply say, politics, COVID, vaccines. Don't, don't meddle, preacher. I'm not meddling. This is just the reality of what we're in right now. And I'm sure there's all people on either side of any of these issues. And we see it on the news and we see it on our phones and we see it on our tablets and it's just anger. And some of you might be like, what I'm trying to basically say is, is we have an anger problem. And you go, yeah, they do. You have an anger problem and I have an anger problem. You go, no, no, I don't. I'm not angry. You're angry. Point proven. If right now you're like, I'm not angry. uh, Be careful. Danger. Dangerous. We think that we have modified our conduct and our behavior through some kind of morality and some kind of band-aid upon who we are as human beings. Some technical people might call it moral therapeutic deism. That's a fancy $5 phrase. But we're so good at conduct, alteration, and behavior that we don't realize that at the heart of the issue is our heart. And it must must be dealt with. Otherwise, we will suffer the consequences. And unbeknownst to us, and what scares us is to have that moment of, how did that come out of my mouth to my loved one? How did I possibly lash out physically in this instance? Our hearts are amazing. God created them. God created the heart of, of man, not just the aortic pump thing that we got, but the essence of who we are. But man, we can be dangerous if we don't know what to do with the heart. So again, I don't think you really need an illustration of anger. But the question might come, and I think it's a fair question, as we read this, when Jesus says in verse 22, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. It's like, well, can I, can I ever get angry? Yes. Yes. You can. God gave you the emotion of anger. It it, it produces something with us, and it's good for us at times, but we got to be careful because what we can do is we can allow our anger to overcome us and overtake us to where it's just our motivating uh, desire and aim if we're not careful. We're just that angry person just constantly simmering and about ready to boil, but we see Jesus get angry, But he's not just getting angry because he wants revenge or he wants retaliation because you've hurt me. He gets angry when the standard of God and those created in the image of God are abused. That's a righteous anger and a righteous indignation. And when we see evil in the world and we see injustice in the world being perpetrated upon people who are helpless Take the example of just children who are being trafficked. When you hear that or you see reports on that and anger doesn't boil up within you of how could someone treat any kind of human being that way, then we are missing something that God, I believe, has placed within us, which is we want justice and we want evil to be dealt with because it's wrong and because we love people. We don't want to see those being taken advantage of. When Jesus flipped the tables there in the, uh, there, there in the temple and, and began to just whip people to get them out, yes, he, he, is, he is expressing his anger, but because of what they are doing with the standard of God, and they are deceiving people of this is what God expects or thinks of you to be in right relationship with him. And he's like, no. And he has every right to do so. But he's in control, and he does this because he loves the people who created in the image of God. And so what we're going to see in verse 22 is is two things. We're going to see two progressions, a progression of anger, but also a progression of consequences. And the way that I want to kind of illustrate this to hopefully make it just make a little bit more sense is I want you to imagine that right in front of me is there is a river or there is a stream, and it's flowing, we'll say, that way for all of our purposes. It's flowing that way. And as the river is flowing downstream this way, what we begin to see are those moments uh, of where (laughs) I can remember when I was again working at this camp and we were in the creek and the river was flowing this way and we began to look down and this was one of those moments where we were like something smells bad and we began to look around and we saw that there was a lot of things that you didn't want to be standing in the middle of in a creek because it came upstream from a bunch of cows and you realize this is disgusting. The root of the problem isn't here. This is the effects of the problem. The root of the problem is upstream. And sometimes what we do is when we're all of a sudden, you know, lashing out at somebody, we, we, we physically lash out or we verbally lash out, and we go, where did that come from? That we would sit in it for just long enough to go, it came upstream from somewhere. That didn't just all of a sudden happen. Nobody woke up, At any point, well, unless you've been simmering for a while, but no one wakes up and goes, today I'll murder. There's something upstream that has been boiling and percolating for a bit of time in order for you to get to that point. Jesus is saying, thou shalt not murder, basic base level. But let's go upstream of of why that would even happen. Let's get to the heart of, of the matter. And so he says in verse 22, He says specifically, he says, if you're angry, you're going to be guilty before the court. He goes on and says, if you say to someone, you are a good for nothing. This is literally, uh, in your translation, it might say if you insult someone, or if you, uh, it's literally the Aramaic word, raka. It's just a fun word, raka. Raka means an empty head. So essentially, this is a moment where you went from anger to now where you're saying, you're, you're verbalizing your anger with some kind of verbal insult. You're stupid. Then it goes to the third example, and he says, okay, you say good for nothing, uh, you say raka, but now you call someone a fool. So you're not only uh, allowing your anger to come out in Aramaic, you're allowing it to come out at this point in the Greek. So there's all kinds of languages we can be angry in. And so you're insulting someone, saying that they're an empty head, that they're stupid, but to call someone a fool was dealing with the heart of a person. It's saying at your heart, you're stupid enough, one, not to believe in God, and two, not to believe in consequences. And so as a result, at your heart, you are bad. And so when Jesus is sharing this, they're hearing this and like, oh, okay, this is, this is kind, of, kind of making sense. I, I kind of get it. A fool is someone who would divorce action from consequence. Um, and what would happen is, I want you to imagine as an individual, someone attacks you verbally insults you comes after your your kids or your grandkids or your friend or whoever it may be you are personally hurt it's at that moment where we're all going to get hurt but what do we do with that hurt and what do we do with that pain what can happen is we can go from hurt and then it can turn into resentment and resentment can turn into bitterness and bitterness begins to take hold and take a harbor within our heart and just kind of sits there for a while. And it begins to simmer. And then again, it begins to percolate into anger. And then it begins to boil up to where I'm not just angry anymore. I'm angry enough to insult you and to call you stupid. And not just to want to insult you to call you stupid, that when I see you, I think that you are just the worst of the worst. Like you are scum, you are evil, and you are bad. And what I want to do is I, I, I want to dismiss you. We see that all over our culture culture today, that there's someone that's on the other side of an aisle, or other side of an opinion, or some kind of decision that's going on with the life of of our country, within the life of a church, and we we have this mindset of, no, 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 what you say, I disagree with, I I can't believe that you would say that, I'm going to dismiss you, you're stupid, you're bad, and the next thing you know, danger. It's dangerous. A word that might be able to sum up all of this is the word contempt. Contempt. You have contempt which will lead to condemnation which leads you to cancel somebody it's when you look at someone and you say you're literally on watching television and you're like i want you to go away change (laughs) i don't want to hear what you have to say anymore i don't want you in my view or my feed or on my screen in fact it's gone to the point i don't even want you to exist i want you gone i want you dead I just don't want to go through the inconvenience of murdering you. You ever been there? There are people that were savvy enough to recognize God, you're not going to get me on murder because I'm not going to take anyone's life, but I will destroy that person. I will take them out at their knees. I want them gone. But because I didn't technically murder them, I don't got to deal with the consequences, the extreme consequences. And what Jesus is showing them is, we're going upstream, we're getting to the heart of the matter, and consequences will come even even, even at the level of anger. And calling someone a name, an insult, calling someone a fool, there's consequences for these things. The progression of anger, but now look at the progression of consequences. He says, "If you're angry, you're going to be guilty before the court." Kind of that standard, okay? You'll be brought before a court. You're angry, okay? That's kind of level one. What's level two? You you call someone a raka, a good for nothing, someone who's stupid, and at that point, you're going to go before the supreme court or what would have been known as the Sanhedrin. So things have taken it up a notch in in the issue of oh, this is getting kind of you know more more you know uh, stakes are involved now. And then he goes to this third one and. Some of you, the question might be is, how is God, or how could anyone really evaluate if I have anger in my heart? You can't see this. I got a really good poker face. Nobody has any idea just how angry I am at this situation. You don't know what it is that I've gone through, and I have a right to be angry because of what I've gone through. What Jesus is saying is, okay, I've given you a couple examples of consequences of how anger could be Uh, experience the consequence of anger on on kind of an earthly scale, but now we're going to go to the divine. We're going to go to divine judgment. And he talks about this fiery hell there in verse 22. He says, you fool, you shall be guilty enough to to enter into the fiery hell. Some people, when we get to this point, they're like, can we not talk about that? We need to talk about that. We have to talk about I'll tell you why in a second. But some of you might go, Jesus went extreme here. At first it was court, supreme court, hell. We we, we jumped to hell on number three. (laughs) At least that's where my mind goes. But what's interesting is those who are on the mountainside who are listening to this, when he says hell, he refers to a word known as Gehenna. A little history lesson. It's good for you. Pay attention. Um, He refers to Gehenna. And Gehenna was essentially the the trash heap or the trash dump on the southern side of Jerusalem. So when he refers to Gehenna, which was specifically the Valley of Hinnon, when he refers to this, they would immediately have a visual image or illustration of that's what he's talking about. This is making sense. And when they would think of this actual place, Gehenna, they would think, hmm, stinks, constant fire and burning, and that's where evil is just kind of personified. Like, it's just, it's there. The reason why is because in the Old Testament, not all the kings of the nation of Israel were good kings. We had some pretty nasty evil kings in the Old Testament, two in particular. That would be four. Two in particular. (laughs) Ahaz and Manasseh. If you haven't heard of them, go back and read it. You want to talk about some sad but terrifying but interesting reading? Don't go streaming. Read your Bible. It's some interesting stuff. Read the book of Judges. It's messed up. Um, And as you find out about these two kings, these two kings, Ahaz and Manasseh, they were so consumed with themselves and not with God or the things of God. And they become so consumed with themselves that when we become consumed with ourselves, often what we become consumed with is how can I do more for me and get more for me, 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 me. So they wanted more power and more power. And they looked at their neighbors and the neighboring nations and said, if I want to get more power... I'm going to do what they do. I'm going to consolidate my power. I'm going to have a lot of different wives from different places or marry off my daughters to some of these other different uh, men that are from these other nations. And if they worship different gods, that's great. Bring them in. We're we're, we're going to be be a nation for everybody, no matter what you believe. All, All religions and faiths welcomed here. and We're going to practice them. And so that's what they began to do. They began to practice all these different faiths not because they cared, but because they knew that this would help consolidate their power, get more people on their side. And what they began to do is they even began to worship a specific God by the name of Molech. And the way that you worshiped Molech is that you would sacrifice children to Molech. The helpless being sacrificed so people could get more. So they sacrifice these these children, and for kings who are evil and kings who want more power, it's actually a pretty convenient practice for them of killing your own children because you don't want someone else to come up and take your throne, or killing the children of others because you want to instill fear, or because you're so vile and so willing to go to such drastic measures that your neighboring countries and your enemies are like, if that guy's crazy enough to kill his own kids, what would he do to us on the battlefield? Terrifying. So, it's at this point that uh, the place where they would worship and sacrifice children to Molech was in the valley of Hinnon, Gehenna. And then a while later, we had someone who rose up by the name of Josiah. And Josiah was a God-fearing king. He got back to the word of God and the standard of God and the things of God and the practice of worshiping God. And he said, that place, the Valley of Hinnon, is so evil, we're turning it into the trash dump. And from that day on, where there was a the constant burning of fire and waste, even until the time of Jesus, everyone knew that place was our, the trash heap, but it was also that place of evil. And we want nothing to do with it. That place is a place of judgment and consequence. And Jesus says, if you call someone a fool, you're going to Gehenna. Sometimes we hear that and we go, "Ah, I don't like that Jesus. Can we talk about the Jesus who made like the mud pies and put it on somebody's eyes and ooh, peekaboo, you can see now, I love that Jesus. Jesus. Or, oh, what about the Jesus that made the guy walk who couldn't walk for the longest time and he's leaping for joy and praising him more? Can, can, can I get the Jesus that will give me some fish and some bread? I love that Jesus. Can we, can we ignore this Jesus? Because that Jesus seemed to really love people. Man, Jesus is loving by warning, by being honest enough to say, if you don't deal with your heart, real consequences are coming your way. If I didn't love you, I would stay silent. But I'm telling you now, consequences are, are, are on the verge if you don't, don't get things right, if you don't deal with it, if you don't deal with your contempt and with your anger. I told you earlier about the idea of being angry because people who are created in the image of God are, are being dealt with harshly or injustice. And just as a reminder for some of you today, because some, sometimes you might wake up and go, I just don't feel, I don't know, worthy or, or, or of value. Every single one of you was created in the image of God. Therefore, every one of you has value. God values you. You may not feel that way, but you are. Valuable in the sight of God. But that also means the person next to you is valuable. It also means that your enemy is valuable. They're created in the image of God. And what we can do is go, well, that guy's not as valuable to me. And he hurt me, so I want to go after him. That's why God later on told us in the Ten Commandments you're created in the image of God, don't murder one another. Don't physically come after somebody. And then later on in the New Testament, in the book of James, he says, You guys are so valuable, you're created in the image of God, don't lash out verbally towards one another be careful with the use of your words because what you say to someone who's created in the image of god you're coming after them but you're also coming after god and who he is created in his image so beware danger of when we begin to lash out physically or verbally because anger took over and took root and it didn't get processed in righteous indignation it got processed in self-righteous indignation self-righteous anger and so Jesus, I believe at this moment, becomes extreme of this consequence because he doesn't want us to go that route. He doesn't want us to experience that kind of judgment. And he doesn't want his community of faith to harbor this kind of anger and contempt because he knows where it leads, and it's going to eventually, when it's upstream, it's going to eventually lead downstream to where we are verbally or physically coming after individuals. So we've got to deal with the heart, or we've got to deal with the consequences. So he gets into verse 23 through 26. In verse 23, he says, Therefore, in light of everything that I've just said, in light of the fact that verse 21 and 22 are true, he shifts in two different areas. One, he goes, We've been talking about murder and anger, and it's not about murder, it's about anger, it's about the heart of the matter. But now let me give you some examples, and let's make it very personalized. Because what's interesting in verse 21 and 22, he's using the the word when he says, You have heard that the ancients were told. He's actually saying, in this way that we would use it, Y'all. It's like the you plural. It's like y'all as a group have heard this. But when he gets into verse 23, he changes it from you as in y'all to you as in you, a singular you. He's getting to you, not the person sitting next to you on the mountainside, not the person sitting next to you in this room. He's coming to your doorstep and to your heart and he's saying, let's talk about you. Not about someone else, but about you and your anger and your heart. So he says, if you want to get if you want to deal with this anger issue, you need to do two things. You need to get right with your brother. You need to get right with your fellow man or your fellow woman. And in two specific examples, he says you need to get right with your brother before you before you go to church and before you get to court. Before you go to church and worship and before you go to court, man, do what you can to get that relationship right and to get that relationship restored. And it's pretty interesting because in verse 23, when he says, man, get right with your brother, even if you're in the midst of a worship service, man, I don't, I don't want your empty words and your empty worship when your heart is just harboring bitterness and contempt towards someone in my image. Deal with that. Otherwise, it's just empty words, hollow. It's very much Amos the prophet. Again, read the Old Testament. It's great. And so to me, there's no greater application than we can see then out of the end of this passage, 23 through 26, and it's just simply this, <laughs> get on your anger early because it costs too much to wait. Get on your anger early because it's going to cost you too much to wait and to go, I'll deal with it later. Well, once they have come to me, you, you deal with it, you act on it now. It's absolutely critical for, for relationships. And I think most of us know this, But man, it's hard to live out, especially when you're hurt. Hurt by others, hurt by God, hurt by a friend, a trusted friend, or maybe even that closest of human relationships of a marriage. You're hurt and you're angry. And what happens is that we can have that little bit of an irritation build up And then slowly, we don't call that person anymore, we don't text anymore, we don't seek to have reconciliation, and then we just never see them, and we just kind of go our different ways. And what what it made me think of was this, Uh, so Tiffany and I, my wife, we enjoy going to the beach when we're able to, and uh, (laughs) you can't see it, but inside of here is the tiniest, tiniest grain of sand. Um, tiniest grain of sand can't even really see it but what happens is you take that tiny grain of sand and you go you know she said she was going to put up the dishes but she didn't alright that's cool whatever you do you I guess we're figuring things out as a couple but you got a grain of sand a couple of years later, you're like, "Is she ever gonna put her shoes up in the entryway?" Like, like why do they just keep building up? And you're just like, "There's some more sand." These little grains of sand begin to build, and then the next thing you know, because you never dealt with it, you got a big old bag of sand, and you don't realize it, but you're building a beachhead around you and between you and that person. Start is small, but man, it gets big. And it becomes a real blockade between you, that person, but man, between you and your fellowship with the Lord. Because you're harboring so much resentment and anger. And I know right now some of you are saying, you don't know what that person did. What he said, what she said, the the, the, the abuse, none of it is justifying any of that. As I said, it is evil and it's injustice and we should be angry with it. But what have you done with the anger? Have you let it continue to fester and build up? Or have you taken the hurt and the pain to the Lord? Because if we try to deal with our own anger, it's only going to build up and it's only going to create these barriers between us and others and us and God. And I don't know about you, but I... I, (laughs) This life is difficult enough to navigate on my own. I need the Lord with me. And so just a few practical things. I've mentioned to you before, but if you're in a relationship, marriage, friendship, uh, family, man, if there there is a wrong that has taken place, own it and apologize. Don't wait for that person to do it. The beauty of what we even have right now is Jesus says, man, if you're going to be in a worship and you realize I got an issue with me and my brother or sister and I need to deal with it, you can even text <laughs> today and be like, before I proceed anymore of offering up a song of praise or listening to a sermon or what you have to say, man, I need to deal with this. Jesus comes to the, to the heart of it. Own it, confess it. But can I tell you this own it, confess it, and leave it? Doesn't mean it didn't happen or didn't exist, but own it, confess that anger, own that anger, and then leave it on the altar. Leave it with the Lord. Look for resolution and reconciliation between you and that friend or that loved one. And trust God to deal with it. For some of you, it may be not a loved one. It may be an enemy. It may be someone who's been so antagonistic towards you. Someone who has, again, hurt you verbally, physically, within your family or within your work. We're not justifying the evil that they have perpetrated because it is wrong and it is injustice. But if you seek to deal with it, It's going to destroy you from the inside out. and So you need to take your heart and you need to hand it over. Because if you don't deal with with your heart, you will deal with the consequences. I've said it a few times, but I want to clarify that one specific point. You do need to deal with your heart. You do. But you can't change your heart. You can't. I've heard some even say in years kind of growing up, man, you just need to follow your heart. Wherever it's just leading you, you go. Follow your heart. That's dangerous. My, my heart, Scripture says, is uh, deceitfully wicked. <laughs> if I just want to follow my own desires and paths, that, that's, a, that's a scary thing. That's dangerous. So I would definitely say don't, don't follow your heart. Others might come along and say, well, you know what? You should lead your heart. You're in charge of your life. You're the captain of your soul. You, you lead your heart. You, you lead the charge of what it is to, to, to lead your family and to lead these relationships. I think that's better, but still, you're in control of your heart that, that can easily get away from you. The most essential thing that we could do today is to submit your heart. Submit your heart to the Lord in every aspect. And some of you are sitting here right now and going, I've already done that. I've submitted my life to Jesus, my heart to Jesus. I've placed my trust and my faith and my hope in Jesus. I'm a Christian. Submit again. And you go, no, 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 I don't want to do that because are you saying I have to get saved again? No. I'm saying you need to submit your heart again. You need to wake up each day and realize if, if I am not handing my heart over to Jesus and I'm dealing with my heart at the heart level of who I am, at this base level, then, then I'm, I might just go wayward. There might just be some issues. I need to hand it over to Jesus on a daily basis and say, my life is yours, my, my, my heart is yours. So that when hurt does come your way, and there is some resentment and bitterness because you were hurt, and that is an issue, that is a big deal when someone hurts us. That what we do is we step back and we say, God, here's my heart and here's my hurt. And we stop and we pray and we deal with the heart of the matter. Would you bow your head with me and just pray? Church family, what I'm, what I'm inviting you to do this morning is it's, it's, it's simple, but it's hard, especially when, when injustice has happened. And I would imagine in a group even of this size, if if something has happened to you that someone has harmed you in your past, verbally, emotionally, physically, man, I'm not saying that what they've done is right. It's not. It's evil. Anger is actually an appropriate response. But don't let it sit there. Don't let it harbor in your heart a heart of bitterness. So what I'm inviting you to do in a moment when, when we're singing is for you, before you sing, every single one of you, before you sing and just go through the motions, that whatever anger is in your heart right now, that you would recognize it, own it, and release it, release that anger To the Lord. Won't be easy, but it has to be done. And the other is that you wouldn't only just release your anger and trust God, but that you again would submit your heart again to Jesus, showing I trust you. I believe that your Word says that vengeance is the Lord. I'll let you handle it. I'll let you deal with it. And so in just a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to stand and we're going to sing, but please (laughs) heed the words and the warning of Jesus. Deal with your anger, which means dealing with your heart this morning. Father, I pray that we again that we could experience a sense of just a a boulder and just a, a weight off of our shoulders today because we've been willing to even go back to some places that are hard in our memory. And we're willing to want to deal with those things and to deal with that hurt and that anger. And I pray that there could be so many across this room and those watching online that they could have a true sense of release as they hand things over to you. And so, Father, I'm just praying that in these last few moments of our time together as a church family of worship, that before we sing and before we worship through song, before we join in with these up here on this platform, that we would deal with our heart. Deal with that before we bring an offering to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand? And Would you respond? And when you're able, join them in song.